Hello and welcome to Spin Unspun, the podcast about leaders and leadership in the world of corporate affairs and corporate communications. I'm Damien Rees from Instinctive Partners in conversation with the best and the brightest in corporate affairs, asking all the questions and discussing all the topics that really matter to people who shoulder the weighty responsibility for corporate reputation and effective communications. Today, I'm joined in the Instinctive Studio by Sam Fulton, Director of Corporate Affairs at Nomad Foods. Sam, great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. And also today, I'm joined by my Spin Unspun co-host from Instinctive Partners, Annabelle Duke, an account director in our corporate and campaigns team. Annabelle, great to see you too. How are you? Thank you. Very well. Excited to be here and hear more from Sam. Excellent. Sam, your career is, is, is obviously very impressive, to say the least. Nomad Foods, as we know, is a very large international food company with owns brands like Birdseye and Findus, but uh, you've also worked for Apple, Unilever, McDonald's, Nestle, Kellogg's, uh, not to mention uh, a formative stint in a in a consultancy. So there's, there's a huge amount to unpack there, I think. Um, so I thought we'd better start right at the beginning. I mean, take us right back to, you know, your young self. I mean, how did all this begin exactly? So I think it would take too long to go right back to my young self. Maybe let's start with university. So um, I, I think my career, hopefully, will, will genuinely give hope to people who do not have the first clue what they want to do. So I went to university to study English, picked that quite randomly just because I liked it. Um, then thought, oh, maybe I could be a journalist because obviously they write a lot. Um, did a little bit of, of work experience during my time at university at the Irish Times in Belfast on the news desk. Which university were you at? Uh, university of Ulster. Um, really exciting experience, but but if you imagine the news desk during the Troubles in Northern Ireland, a lot of it was interviewing people whose you know um, neighbours and, and relatives had been shot, for example. So I thought, actually, this is a bit edgy, maybe. Um, and, and, and then I actually went into what I would describe as almost panic mode, where I thought, I actually now genuinely don't know what I want to, to do. So I did a few random jobs, went to Japan to teach English, worked for my local council in the regeneration department, and then gradually through this quite random approach, I realized that the bits of the jobs that I did that I liked were related to communications. So that that really was was the start where I thought, right, maybe communications is the career that I can have. Weren't really any jobs at that time in, in Northern Ireland and in, in PR or comm. So then I went to uh, London, got a job at a really small agency on their graduate scheme and, and then went from there to, to Ketchum and Ketchum probably is where I, I, I would say I got a really solid grounding in a, in a lot of the things that I still work on today. So I was really lucky. I got to work on international clients like Starbucks. I managed multi-country agency networks. I worked on FedEx, which a lot of my friends thought was quite boring, but actually was amazing experience in terms of learning about crisis and issues management. So Ketchum very much, I think, was where I got a lot of the foundational skills and experience that then I've, I've actually used and, and relied on quite a bit. And then I went to Kellogg's. I thought it was after seven years at Ketchum, thought probably time for a change. Went to how Kellogg's. How old, how old was that? Oh, my God. Like late 20s, late 20s, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I feel a bit geriatric now. I can't even remember, um, <laughs> but pro probably late 20s and thought, you know, I like food. I absolutely love breakfast cereal. And I, I also I, I think I was a bit cocky. I thought it'd be quite an easy job for my first in-house job. Week one. Literally front page headlines. It was the the witch campaign around serial killers. So in a couple of weeks, my job went from being PR manager to literally having to set up a full blown corporate affairs function in, in a matter of months, really. So 
actually quite challenging. And, and at the time, I remember thinking, I literally don't have a clue what I'm doing. But, you know, super experience and really supportive culture, I think, to to kind of help me to, to get on and, and do it. And then, you know, re- really what I've tried to do is, is just build on the experience from there. So I went to Nestle because it was more international. It was a chance to start to work on sustainability, which was really starting to take off then. And and then I've I, in my jobs, I've always looked for what can I actually learn or how can I develop? So um, the, the roles I did at Unilever and McDonald's, for example, again, were more international, much bigger companies, multi-sector. Um, I worked for Apple, which is a completely different sector again. And, and I deliberately wanted to do that because I wanted to make sure that I couldn't I could do something other than than food. Um, and and I, I suppose really along the way, I've, I've, I've just looked for stuff that I find interesting. So so my, my the way I've managed my career is do you find it interesting? Is the company ethical? Would I use the products and, and, and actually are the people what I would describe as a good fit for me? And, and that, that's pretty much how I've I've approached it. So I, I didn't really have any major strategy as to where I wanted to work or the level of companies. But that, you know, that's kind of how it's worked out, I suppose. And who have been the most important influences or mentors in your career? So even though I didn't realise at the time, probably my parents, um, partly because they never, ever tried to influence my career. Um, my mum my used to actually say things to me all the time. She was like, oh, well, if it doesn't work out, you can always come home. So so I ha- I always knew I had a safety net, even if I completely screwed up, which which actually gave me a lot of confidence in the early days. And then I was really, really lucky. Very early in my career, I had two really, really solid managers. One of them, and I'll do a name check, one of them was called Anne McCormack, who I worked with at Ketchum. The other was David Walker, who was my manager at Kellogg's. And they, they were actually very similar. Both of them gave me stuff to do and opportunities, things that I genuinely did not believe I had the capability to do. They then left me to do it, but but were always kind of there when I got stuck or or I needed kind of a bit of advice. And, and, and I think they had huge integrity. So actually just being around those two people and seeing how they operated was, was a real kind of learning for me. So so I, I would say, actually, you know, I, I was really lucky early on to get some really good leadership. Um, and, and, and actually, you know, I've I learned a lot from them and, and I still put into action some of the things that I, I kind of took from that time, really. I mean, presumably McDonald's had some interesting challenges when it comes to ethical yeah. issues. Um, what were the what were the sort of main um, uh, issues that you had to deal with there, as it were? What were the what were the most difficult challenges at McDonald's? So I think McDonald's, like a lot of companies, suffers from actually a lot of um, misperceptions. So, I mean, if, if you look at, you know, a, a lot of or I wouldn't say a lot of because obviously it's a company that people either love or hate generally. But a lot of the misperceptions are around, you know, how they do or don't operate their supply chain, the quality of the products. And, and I, ha- I have to say genuinely, having worked intimately in that organization, you know, the level of quality, the level of care that's actually taken. Um, I mean, I have to have to say if I wanted to eat a burger, I would I would 100 percent eat one from McDonald's because I, you know, I know the care they take, for example, in terms of the meat supply chain. So re- real kind of dedication, I think, to. Actually, I think taking on board learnings from the past in terms of how things may have been done, but genuinely trying to change. And and I think the good thing about companies like McDonald's, when they change, they drive a mass change. So when McDonald's put um, fruit and Happy Meals, that's a huge change, actually, in terms of fruit consumption and and that kind of thing. So I I actually really enjoy working for companies, I think, that have got a bit of an edge. Did Did you find that with McDonald's, the media, the mass media, were willing to listen to you? Or or, or, or or were they deaf to, to your, you know, your your well evidenced claims, no doubt, about supply chain and so forth? I mean, has that got cut through now? Do you think? 
Probably a mixture, but but uh, but I actually think, and, and and I still think that the company does a good job. I, th- I think a lot of the stuff that McDonald's did was actually pretty groundbreaking at, at the time. You know, being really honest, inviting media into kitchens, taking them to farms. The, a, a lot of these are the kind of things that other companies actually, you know, now do almost like automatically. But McDonald's, I think, was one of the first companies to have done it. So I think, I think just that level of honesty and transparency has been really helpful to help them really shift reputation. And, 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 and actually, I think, you know, get them a lot of kudos from people who might have been detractors originally. Obviously, there are still people who disagree with the company, but that, that's the case with any company, I think. Um, but, you know, re- real transparency, I think, and action is, is how they've approached it. I think an incredibly inspiring journey with lots of great brands under your belt. So um, I'd be interested to learn, in your view, uh, is corporate affairs a good career option for young female professionals? And as a female leader yourself, what have you learned that can help women achieve a more prominent role in their organisation? I, sp- I suppose it depends what you want. And what, what one of my big bits of advice that I always say to people is like tr- actually try and figure out what you think it is that you want or, or you like. And if you don't know that, try and figure out what you don't like, because then you can at least eliminate things. But I think corporate affairs is, you know, for for the right people, it's fascinating. You know, it's really broad. Um, I think if you want to do corporate affairs as opposed to, say, a specialism like media or, or government affairs, um, there's loads of opportunities. You know, you can, uh, I mean, m- most organizations, I think, you know, like, you know, need corporate affairs functions or, or elements of it, really. But you've also got to have actually quite broad experience. A lot of it is about how things are related, how they influence each other. So, so I, I do think experience in the different disciplines like media, internal comms, government affairs, you know, maybe maybe social is actually really important. And everybody has got a different view. But I, I also think it's quite good to mix agency and in-house experience because you just get different experiences from those, those two separate environments. But um, I, I, I'm not I'm not sure it's specific to to women because obviously. You know, every woman has a different circumstance, but you know the downside is the hours can be quite long. It's definitely not nine to five. So, so I, I think it's one of those things where, um, d- depending on the, on the company, obviously there are different levels of resource. So I, th- I think you need to go into it thinking that, you know, that there is a level of commitment that that you kind of have to put in. I think if you want to get good at it or or kind of operate at a high level. Um, it, equally, I think it's, you know, there there are huge opportunities for for women and and actually other young people more more broadly, really, just in terms of the things you get to do. I mean, a lot of it involves working with really senior executives. You get to learn a lot about business. Um, you can deal with a whole range of stakeholders. So, so I, I think it's really interesting. If if you're into, you know, breadth, I think it's definitely a, a good role to be in. I think. And what would be one key leadership lesson that you've learned along the way? I think probably learn to challenge and learn to accept challenge back really I mean it, it takes a level of confidence I think to express a point of view actually know that that point of view might be disagreed with um, and then then either compromise or kind of hold your ground really so, so I actually think in corporate affairs especially it's really important to have the confidence to make decisions and make recommendations but also have the confidence to to actually speak especially to leadership I mean I think there's a saying you know you need to speak truth to power that's definitely true in, in the role. And, and you, you've got to be pretty tough-skinned, really, because it can be really challenging. And, and what do you think one of your most challenging moments in the job has been? I, I, don't, I don't think there's been one pivotal moment. Um, I actually think the hardest circumstances are where you, you need to do the right thing all of the time. You know, the, the right thing is always the right thing to do. And I, I think there are circumstances, again, where, you know, sometimes you've got to be the person who, who, as I said, like, you know, makes a stand. Um, there have been circumstances where I knew I was the only person who would speak up and you've got to be comfortable d- 
doing that really. So, so I think the toughest ones are where, as I said, you, you've got to, to make sure you and the company is doing the right thing. And sometimes that can be quite difficult. So the, the, the nature of this job, I think, is pretty unique, isn't it? Um, I mean, would it be t- too far? Would it be going too far to say that you're almost the conscience of a business? You're the one person who may have to stand up and challenge power. Uh, because you think it's the right thing to do. There is clearly an issue that people are ignoring or you know, not really engaging with. Um, are you the conscience of the company as the corporate affairs director? I think, I think in some ways you are. I, I would also caveat that, caveat that by saying if the corporate affairs person is the only conscious in the company, then clearly the company has got a big problem because, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, ideally all companies should should have a have a strong conscious and, and kind of moral compass, as it were. But yeah, I, I mean, a lot, a lot of the time you are putting it through the filter of what what's the right thing to do. And, and, and a lot of the times that's not black and white, really, because you've got to take a lot of, you know, the context into, into consideration. You've obviously worked for a number of US companies or overseas companies and, and been running their uh, or responsible for their corporate affairs and reputation in the UK, for instance. Uh, uh, I mean, thinking about Kellogg's, Apple, McDonald's, how much autonomy have you had in those sorts of companies? I mean, I guess it differs from one company to another. They'll have different cultures, but how easy has, has that been? I, I agree with what you said. I, I think it actually differs depending on the, the structure. Every, every company, I think, has a different culture, but also different structures where some of them are a bit more, let's say, command and control. Uh, others, there's a lot more freedom, I think, for markets or or regions to do things. So as an example, when I was at Kellogg's, actually, the, the UK, for example, tended to be a lead market for, for certain areas, you know, such as regulation, because actually the UK government was ahead on things like you know, food labelling, for for example, I think is an example. Uh, other times, I think, you know, if you work for companies like McDonald's, there are certain things that are the same everywhere. And, th- and then there are areas, obviously, that you can flex because you always got to be locally relevant. So I think I think it really depends on the company and the culture. But th- there's usually some element where, where a market or a, or a function even has got a level of freedom that, that's localised, really. So looking at Apple specifically, for instance, which is, you know, a company that I think the world broadly seems to be in love with. Um, so, you you know, which contrasts to, say, a company like McDonald's that has its detractors, um, whereas Apple less so. Um, iconic company, incredible products, wonderful brand, um, big tech, uh, which I guess is, is something of a, of a challenge. Just give us a Paint us a picture for what it's like inside a company like that in your in your role. So obviously Apple is very secretive, so there's no there's nothing particularly racy that I'm I'm planning to say on, on Apple. But 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 a lot of it is as you would expect, you know, very, very high standards, really, really strong culture and a, a lot of focus on on Apple culture and and, and I, I suppose what it means to be a, a person at Apple. Probably I think the you know the, the the kind of the, the biggest thing that I I would take away from it is ju- just the the level of focus where you know loads of companies talk about oh you know there's things you need to say no to and prioritization Apple is probably the only company I've worked for where literally when you agree what your priorities are you, you almost like rid yourself of other distractions it's very much understood in the company that you know when you're doing a big launch or there's a big corporate project that that is what everybody is focused on so. I think focus is the biggest thing, really, which is why actually they're very good at what they they do. I mean, there's huge care put into every element of every launch, and I think that's reflected then in, in the outputs, really. And then I suppose the other, the only other point is, I think there is this kind of grouping of big tech, but 
big tech is a bit like big food. When you actually look at it, they're all fundamentally different companies. You know, some of them are social media companies. Apple obviously makes hardware and 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 a few, a few other areas they they cover. Amazon is completely different again. So, um, I, I think this kind of generic term is is, is actually not really that useful because they're completely different when you look at the structures. Um, and it's hard to compare, say, a company that's mostly, you know, dealing in data, where a company that actually has, you know, a huge supply chain that's actually making a, a lot of things. Really, they're, they're they're very different in terms of structure and, and and I suppose impact on the world, as it were. And working with brands like Apple and McDonald's, is there a particular campaign that you have been particularly proud of in your career? And and for you, what are the ingredients of success for a campaign? Would you look for creativity at the core? I think it's hard to generalize. I mean, I, I still get a kick out of getting media coverage. And I think it's hard to work in corporate affairs if you still don't get, you know, if you still don't enjoy seeing things, you know, in the papers or online or, or whatever. Um, but but, but I, I, I think a lot of the things that I'm probably most proud of are things that actually were probably quite difficult to either to get approval for or, or actually then bring to fruition. Um, I, I think probably one of the best examples is actually the launch of Fairtrade KitKat, where it was actually really amazing to get involved in something right at the start, you know, when it was actually being planned, go through the whole approval process with the different parties that were involved, get to go to Ivory Coast on, on a trip to visit cocoa farmers and then see their actual cocoa being used in a product. So I, th- I think just the you know, it was actually a real privilege, I think, to be involved in, in all the different elements. And then actually, you know, the job that I needed to do was was to make sure that the announcement, as it were, when it officially launched, was done really well. And, you know, we, we, we got literally blanket positive coverage. So I, th- I think the reason I, I kind of picked that out is I think there, there were lots of different things that we had to do, um, you know, from research through to execution that, that actually enabled us to deliver the whole project really, really well. So So, so I'm proud of that, I think, just because of the it was really tough to do. I mean, it, it was a kind of two-year build, which is actually really long. Uh, you know, a, a lot of stuff now I think is, is quite instant. So, so that's probably one I think that I would highlight. And and I, I was at the time I was I remember being really proud of my team. And Nomad Foods um, is a New York listed public company, uh, but it's got most of its operations over here in the UK and, yeah. and Europe, which is quite an interesting mix and probably provides all sorts of uh, different challenges. Um, for you, but just tell us what over overall the, the the comms and corporate affairs strategy is all about. What is it you're trying to achieve? I think I think it's pretty simple. So if, if you look at Nomad Foods, most people actually, even people in the food industry, have never heard of the company, but they have heard of our brand. So it's so re- really what we're trying to do is make sure that alongside these very famous brands that people know and love and that have been around for years, that actually there's enough awareness of of Nomad Foods, the group, like the holding company, because you know, we, we are a leader in frozen, we're a leader in sustainable eating. And, and and actually, the reality is we've, in the past, you know, probably not done a good enough job about explaining what we actually do. On on the other side of that, we do want to make sure we're involved in the right discussions around things like, you know, potential legislation or things that could actually impact the, the business or the brand. So it's a really, it's a very simple strategy just about making sure we've got the right connection so that we are in the right discussions and then making sure the right stakeholders, whether that's media or you know, like say more on the political side, that, that actually we've got the you know the the, the right discussions in, in play. Pretty much everything links to that, and, and then it's just a matter of, of what we prioritise at certain times, really, to make sure we're focused on the right things. But it's it's very very simple. Obviously, one of the big stories at the moment is food uh, cost of living crisis. Do you think the food sector is stepping up to the plate? Excuse the pun. 
I, th- I think the food sector overall is doing a, a good job and, and, and food retailers. Um, and I, th- I think the context here is really important where th- this is definitely not business as usual. I mean, I, I think they're also doing it at a time when there are huge supply chain challenges because of the, the war in Ukraine. This comes on the back of a, a lot of disruption, say, from, you know, from from COVID and, and that kind of thing. So, so there, there are really, really big challenges, I think, facing the industry. And, and I, I do think, you know, you know, generally as a sector, food companies have responded really, really well. I think they are very conscious of, um, you know, gen- genuinely the, the importance of food and being able to eat healthily, affordably, making sure that people have actually have, wherever they are, have access to, to healthy, affordable food is really important. And, you know, I, I would say as a sector, you know, we, we've definitely stepped up. I, I can't really comment on individual companies, but I, I genuinely think people are very, very focused on how, how we can support consumers and, and make sure actually that they you know, that they, they feel actually that they, you know, they've got kind of trusted products, quality products at a time when actually a lot of them are, are, are very squeezed in, in terms of financials, for example. So personalised healthy nutrition, as well as increasing concerns about the negative impact of climate change, is becoming an increasingly more important uh, when it comes to consumer purchasing decisions. So we're seeing increasing demand for environmentally and socially sustainable consumer goods. And how is Nomad Foods responding to this? I, th- I think there are things that we and others are doing in terms of uh, actually, I suppose, kind of very broad initiatives such as labelling. So a lot of being able to make an informed choice is, is about actually having the right information. So I think there are really helpful, um, you know, like nutritional labeling, for example. There's work that we and others, again, have done on stuff like LCA. So LCAs are basically carbon footprints on products. So that helps you to understand how potentially a product compares to another one in terms of environmental impact. So a lot of it, I think, relates to how can you actually provide consumers with information to help them make a choice, whether whether that's on pack or on, on websites, really. And, and I think there's some really interesting policy around how some of that might evolve. There's a lot of discussion around much broader eco labels, for example. So this is this is definitely an area I think a very active debate. Um, I, I think the on the other side of that, what I find um, interesting is is probably just the volume of commentators on things like personalised health or or nutrition. And what what actually is quite interesting, I think, especially with the rise of social media, is there's also been a rise in what you could probably describe as kind of fake nutritionists or, or kind of fake news, really. So, so, so I, actually, I also think it's important that there are expert organisations that people can go to for, you know, information that's factually correct, that's independent, that kind of thing. So, so I, I think I think that whole landscape around sources of information is, is also really developing and, and quite interesting, actually. And Sam, you've worked for companies um, that that are. I think, as far as corporates are concerned, at the cutting edge of sustainability. So Unilever, obviously, Nestle. Mm, yeah. So it's it's an area that you know a lot about in terms of how companies are grappling with uh, with this topic. Are you at all worried uh, about what I see as a bit of a trend in the media, which is becoming more and more cynical about... ESG sustainability. Um, I noted the the Economist recently wrote a piece describing ESG as exaggerated, sanctimonious guff, <laughs> <laughs> which obviously tells you all you need to know about what they think. The FT likewise is is increasingly cynical. Um, is is that a worry for you? Do you think therefore the you know corporates are losing this this argument or are not being convincing? And why? Why is it that people are getting more cynical for what ought to be, you know, a good thing? 
I, th- I think there's definitely scepticism. Um, and and, and par- partly I think that's because there is a level of vagueness around how some of the ESG indexes are put together. Um, there, there's not really a, a, an accepted standard. So, so it, it's, it's all a bit kind of vague and open to interpretation. I think, interestingly, you also have um, areas where, for example, uh, tobacco companies can get a really strong ESG score because actually they score really highly on governance. But but actually, these are companies that you know make products that kill people. I think a lot of consumers probably would never have heard of ESG if you said the acronym. But you know, most of the research shows that there is an increasing amount of consumers who, who actually do want to make sure that the companies they're buying from are ethical, you know, ideally sustainable, especially environmental sustainability. They might not, you know, know the details, but 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 I think most people would 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 be more comfortable buying from a company that they felt was, let's say, responsible. Part of the challenge, I think, is there's probably a much smaller group of people who are, who are actively looking for the details behind some of those companies. But, you know, it's only really predicted to grow. So I think it will become increasingly important, really. Um, and again, you know, consumers, I think, are getting better um, at analysing some of the information and asking questions, really. So, um, again, I think there'll, there'll be a level of scrutiny that will just increase that and make a lot of companies much more responsible because they'll have to be more transparent. Just thinking about... Um actually running a corporate affairs function and a, and, a, and a comms function. To what extent has um, working from home had an impact in how you organise what you do? Is the future of work uh, particularly relevant to corporate affairs, do you think? Definitely. I mean, in, in, in terms of my personal experience, so I actually joined Nomad during lockdown for COVID. So actually onboarding was quite interesting. So, so I, I, I think probably the impact generally has been Everybody, I think, has had to be a bit more thoughtful around how they actually manage their own time, interact with people, manage, you know, like especially if they're responsible for managing a team, like how actually their team interacts. Um, and and I, th- I think some stuff definitely is harder if you're either hybrid or, or remote where, you know, j- just being around people, you can actually, I think it's easier to kind of sense their mood. You can tell a lot through body language. So I think as a, as a leader, you've you've got to be much more conscious and intentional around uh, actually kind of how your people are feeling. Make sure there's more check-ins, that kind of thing. And 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 also, I think do you work as a team as to how you actually want to work. I mean, it's not it's not for the leader, I think, to decide. You know, this is how it's going to be. It's got to be very much what works for the team and what what's optimal. And you know, for example, we we've had to do things where. Um, you know, we, we've made sure where where we kind of plan how we're going to be in the office or plan, you know, like working from home and, and that kind of thing, which is very different, I think, to, I mean, I used to travel in previous roles and, and, and I, I did work from anywhere, but it wasn't particularly planned. It just happened to be on the cuff and uh, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think I think that, I think planning, you, you've got to plan a lot more around kind of like where your team is, how they interact, what the office is for versus, say, what working from home is for, really. Do you enjoy the politics of uh, corporate affairs, um, I'm thinking here not the internal politics, but uh, <laughs> the engaging with uh, uh, policymakers, politicians. Is that a side of the job you uh, you particularly enjoy? I, th- I think it's one of those things that's really important. I mean, I, I always see the kind of political bit or the regulatory bit as, as being quite different to media because media is quite short term, very instant. And a lot of the time, the policy landscape is you know, can take years, really. So, so it's, a, it's a bit of a different environment, really. But um, I, I, I think the key thing is there are things that we need to learn from governments and, and regulators, actually, because, you know, because sometimes they have a different context. It, equally, I think it's important for them to listen to business because there are realities that we need to to operate under. So um, 
I'm not sure if I describe it as enjoyment, but I, I think it's really an essential part of the job. And and, and also again, I think um, it, it's very much an evolving process. So it's, it's something where I think relationships become really key. You've got to develop really strong business relationships so that you can you know you can have proper dialogue and share information and 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 be I think conscious of where everybody's coming from really. Who do you think um, is getting comms and reputation right? Who's doing it really well? Apart from Nomad Foods, of course. <laughs> um, who do you look up to, or who, who you know, who do you, who, who are you really impressed by? Perhaps is the best way of putting it. I think Nike. Um, I mean, I'm slightly obsessed by Nike anyway, but but I, I actually think is that because you run a lot. I'd like to say that. I think if people could see my physique, they'd know I'm not um, any kind of... I mean, I, I do sport. The thing I like about Nike is actually... I mean, clear, clearly they're an amazing company, an amazing brand. Um, I mean, if, if anybody's read the you know the Shoe Dog book, I mean, the, the actual story of Nike itself is, is really interesting. But it's a, it's a company, I think, that doesn't always get it right. And then when it doesn't get it right, it's very good at course correcting. So whether that be you know really changing the supply chain, so it's now, I think, recognised as a leader in sustainability... They've got some stuff wrong in terms of how they, you know, they, they've kind of done some stuff in, in the past, really. So they're definitely not perfect, but I think they do a good job and, and the very honest job of, of, as I said, course correcting. And then the other one is Ikea. I think they do some really nice comms and, and, and actually at the same time don't take themselves too seriously, which I think is really important. Is there a dream job in corporate affairs and comms for you or maybe just in anything? Nike, obviously. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I think the dream job for me is is, is just stuff that I'm really passionate about and, and that I like. There are definitely jobs that I know I would not be good at. So, um, but but yeah, and anything I think where there's that good combination of of challenge, it's got to be a bit edgy. I, I mean, I wouldn't be good in a job where there's not much to do. It's just a bit of taking over. You know, I, I think that would be quite boring, really. What do you think, Sam? Are the traits or the temperaments that really make for a great head of corporate affairs? I would have thought a thick skin is is one. Definitely a thick skin. I, I think a lot of it, to be honest, is actually you, you've got to do what a lot of people consider to, to be the basics really, really well. Um, you know, so, so I, you know, I think if you simplify it, you've got to be brilliant at keeping things out of the media when that is what's required. You need to be brilliant at getting stuff into the media when that is what's required. You know, in terms of corporate affairs, it often includes internal. You've got to always remember that your employees are your number one audience because I think a lot of comms professionals actually forget employee comms or, or they think it's somehow like less important, which is totally not true. Um, and then I think in terms of kind of, let's say, how you carry yourself, I think you've got to be nice and kind, um, but at the same time, not naive. And, and I mean, if, if I had to kind of like say, you know, simplify, th- those would be the things that I would actually call out, but de- definitely thick-skinned um, and, and really really kind of like happy to push at stuff because because a lot of stuff is really hard you've got to be able to push through a lot of the time and confident and with a, a bit of courage i guess I, I would say courage to do stuff that you actually don't 100 percent know what you're doing I mean, I mean my team will tell you I, I say a lot i actually well i mean i actually do say i don't have a clue about this or i don't know enough about this but so, so you, need, you need to kind of know your your gaps really and be happy to Go ahead, even knowing that you don't have the answers or the facts or whatever. But but I think I think that's where the network comes, and you also need to be aware of where you can get help. So so I think having a strong network where if you don't know it, you can go and call on somebody else, or you can ask for advice. I think is really really key, uh, and and ha- and having the confidence to operate a lot of the time where you don't have a lot of the stuff that you would ideally like to have. Networking is there a particular group organization? 
you know, way of networking or, or has it become a lot harder now sort of in the Zoom age? Is it is it important? Well, I mean, it if, is important. If you spoke to some people I know, they would tell you networking is definitely not my area of expertise. It's not my, it's not my forte, but I, I actually think it's one of the things that I've learned to do a much better job on. Um, and, and definitely, I think, focused on a lot more, and you know, especially kind of later career. And if I had to do a shout-out, I would do a shout-out for the Albright, which is a women's club that was actually formed. One of the co-founders is actually ex-Ketchum, um, very nice lady called Anna Jones. And, and, and it was deliberately set up to help women network and, and get access, I think, to, I, I suppose, the kind of support that a lot of men have had through things like, you know, business clubs and, and that kind of thing in the past. So, so that, that would be my kind of shout-out in terms of, being very eclectic and, and actually open to you know women at all levels, so it's it's really broad a broad church really as it were. My last question would be, uh, if you were hosting a dinner party, what would your winning frozen menu be? I think fish finger tacos. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> well, you haven't tried them, but yeah, that would be my that would be my menu. Easy. <laughs> Sam, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. You've been listening to Spin Unspun, the podcast from Instinctive Partners about corporate affairs and corporate communications with myself, Damien Rees, and my co-host today, Annabelle Duke. Annabelle, thanks for uh, joining me. Our guest today has been Sam Fulton, Director of Corporate Affairs at Nomad Foods. Thanks once again, uh, Sam. Um, Join us again for our next episode of Spin Unspun, details at instinctive.com. Find us on social media, on the usual channels. And if you'd like to get in touch about Spin Unspun, just drop me a line, damien.reese at instinctive.com.